Praise God. <clears throat> Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. How many of you know God's good? Even when it seems like God's good, he's good. Even though life it might even though life at times might seem good, God is still good. God is still in charge. God is still in control. Uh, that last song just ministers so much to me. I feel, uh, I feel a little bit like the psalmist when he said, I've been young and now I'm old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken. I've never seen his bread. I've never seen his children begging bread. And, and there is a a faithfulness that God has. And I can look back, we can look back over our life and we can see the hand of God in so many ways. Uh, we uh, celebrated with our oldest daughter. She turned 40. And uh, you know, when your kids start to catch up to you in age, because there's no way in the world that I'm much beyond 40 myself. And so when, when that reality starts to happen, it's like, man, my kids are almost as old as I am. And, uh, and I wonder how in the world did I ever get married to such an older woman like my wife? And uh, no, come on. <laughs> oh, praise God. She hasn't been in the service for the last couple of weeks. It's, so I had to, I have to kind of, you know, I don't know what I have to do, but I shouldn't probably. It's complicated, church, it's complicated. And that's the series that we're talking about this week, or this, for the last couple of weeks, and uh, it is complicated. I shared with you my very first, the very first week when we were talking about the love of God, how that, um, I wrote a note to a girl, because this is in second grade or third grade, and a friend of mine told me that this is what you should do. To, you should have a girlfriend. This is how you get one. And uh, you write a note and stick it in her desk. And that's what I did. And, you know, if, if I like you. If you like me, circle yes. If not, circle no. And uh, she circled yes. She stuck it back in my desk. And I'll be honest with you, my friend never told me what step two was. Maybe he didn't think, he, may, he probably figured I was going to strike out anyway or be afraid to do it. I don't know, but, but it got complicated real quick. And I never talked to that girl again, probably ever in my entire lifetime. And, and, and so that was kind of easy for me in, in one sense, but it was a realization uh, as a very, very young child. It was like, man, oh man, this is a little more difficult and it's more complicated and it feels uncomfortable. And so we've been talking about that the last several weeks uh, as it relates to uh, really the complication that can happen in relationships. And whether it's a, a marriage relationship, a dating relationship, a work relationship, a family relationship, relationships can get complicated and relationships can sometimes get ugly. How many of you ever been involved in something that was ugly? And so we spent a couple of weeks talking about forgiveness, talking about offense. And, and if you did not hear those two messages, um, parts two and three, I would encourage you to go back and listen to those again because Offense, we live in a day, we live in an age where it is our right to be offended. And people want to point out every offense under the sun. And yet Jesus said, don't be surprised. The opportunity to be offended is going to face you all the time. He said, it is impossible to live your life without the opportunity to be offended. And that word offense is the mousetrap. It is the little piece. It is the little piece that the cheese or the peanut butter goes onto. It is the part of the, the, the trap that will attract people. But once you take that bait, snap. And to be offended, offense is an event that happens, but to take offense, that's a path. And that path will take you to places you do not want to go. 
It will destroy your life. It will destroy relationships. It is a killer. It starts with offense. We read it over in the book of Matthew. It starts with offense. There's betrayal. There's deception that happens. And after a while, it says that the love of many will wax cold. And that's what the enemy wants. That's what the devil wants. The devil wants us to not be able to respond to the love of God or to the love, uh, to the love of God receiving his love or giving his love. It is a path that will bring you to a place of destruction. And so I would encourage all of you to go back and hear those couple of messages, even if you were here and you heard that. But I want to take a little bit of a turn this morning, and it's something that is near and dear to my heart and Shelley as well. Um, um, Psalms 127, and, and thinking about this, uh, again, celebrating with our daughter who turned 40, and holy cow, she probably wouldn't even like me saying that now that I think about it. <laughs> but it's too bad. She's not here. <laughs> and if you're watching online... Hi, <clears throat> love you. Uh, she's in church this morning too. All right, Psalm 127 verse one says, unless the Lord builds the house, so unless we put God in charge of our house our, or our relationships, if, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Your power, strength, wisdom, and might without God being in control, without you surrendering or submitting to God, it's going to be difficult, if not impossible, to truly build a house that is going to last. He goes on and says, unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise up early and you stay up late toiling for food to eat. For he grants sleep to those that he loves. Verse 3. Children, children are a heritage from the Lord and offspring are a reward from him. Children are two things. Children are a heritage and they are a reward. You, how many of you were ever children before? Please understand this morning that, that you're, you are a heritage and you're a reward. You are a heritage and you are a a reward, regardless of how you got to this earth, whether or not you were a planned pregnancy or, you know, a, a, a moonlit night of passion that suddenly it's like, uh-oh, you were in the mind of God. There, there was a design and there's a purpose. You are a reward. Don't ever let the enemy, don't ever let life, don't ever let people tell you that you were a mistake, that you were an accident, that you should have never been born, kind of like the kid who said, you know, and said, well, I didn't ask to be born. And his dad said, yeah, if you would have, the answer would have been no. It's always been one of my favorite things. There's reason, design, and purpose that you're alive. So children are a reward and they are a heritage, but children are something else. Children are a responsibility. How many of you found that out in parenthood? Oh, Jesus, help us. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 6 says, or Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5 says, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. That is something that you and I, if we're going to let the Lord build our house, need to be aware of. That our love, our focus, and our attention needs to be God, on God first of all. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Uh, with every fiber of your being, we are to turn our heart and our affection and attention towards God. Verse 6. These commandments that I give you today are to be where? On your hearts. The commandment of God should be on the inside. The Bible tells us that, you know, the psalmist said, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I won't sin against God. <laughs> I'll say it this way. If our intake of the word of God is exceeded by the media of this world and other distractions, then all of our, uh, all of our heartaches, our pain, and all of those things, most of those are self-inflicted. We've got to make sure that we've got a steady diet of the Word of God coming into our heart and into our life. 
That's how the Lord's going to help us to build our house and build something that is going to last. If we're unaware of the command of God or the promise of God, then it's going to be very difficult and we're going to be up and we're going to be down and we're going to be subject to the things of this world. And, and the Bible says that really we're subjects of the kingdom of God and that his kingdom reigns in us. And we're to pray, your kingdom be done, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come to where I am right now. And so he says again in verse 6, these commandments that I give to you today are to be on your hearts, but that's not the only place. To be on your hearts when? When it's convenient, when it's easy? No. It is to be on our hearts regardless of what's going on in our life. And here's the reason. Here's the reason. Verse 7, impress them on your children. Them what? Them commands. Impress them upon your children. Don't impress them with do as I say, not as I do. Lead the way and give them an example to follow. Talk about them. How do I do it? Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. God's words to be on your heart, to be in your heart and out of your mouth. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth's going to talk. You put the word of God into your heart and into your life in abundance, it's going to come out of your mouth. And particularly in those pressure moments, God's word and promise will come out of your heart. Now, I know that this is, we kind of like a little bit more of a warming up, maybe as we get into a topic, we get into a subject, but I don't really have time for that this morning. And, and here's what's really on my heart today. Unless the Lord builds the house, those that build it are going to labor in vain. Children are a heritage, they're a reward, but they're also a responsibility, and the responsibility that we as adults or parents have is to impress the Word of God, to impress the Word of God, to press it into their life, so that when they're old, it says in Proverbs, they won't depart from the ways of God. And, and I don't know if every generation has faced this, if every generation goes through these things or think these things, but... The last year and a half in particular, but it goes beyond that. It, it's, proceeds, it, it's back there farther. I, I'll tell you, it was a revelation to me, or it was a thought to me of this, that we all went through a pandemic. We all went through a lot of turbulent time in the last year and a half, but we didn't all go through it the same way. Depending on what was happening in your life, depending on where, how old your children were, I mean, you know, for some of us, Shelly and I, it was kind of like the restaurants are closed. <laughs> You know, for others, for others, you're navigating how do we, how do, we do homeschool and, and computers and all the other things, and how do, we, how do we do all that stuff? It's one of the reasons that we did Second Saturday for parents. Our hearts went out to the parents because, man, you're navigating stuff that was so difficult, and, and, and the culture and the world that we are raising children in today is so different. There are so many things, difficult things that kids are having to navigate there isn't truth anymore. I, my favorite statement during the, the whole pandemic thing, thing was the experts agree. The experts agree. Whatever you think, whatever you believe, you will find people that will agree with you. You'll gather them to yourself, whether, whether it was a mask or not a mask, whether it was a scamdemic or a pandemic, whether it was uh, you know, an election, what, all of the different things that we divided over. And the experts agree. Whatever you want to believe. The experts agree. And today, children are faced with a shifting landscape where words don't mean what they used to mean. There's a lot of confusion. We're rewriting history. Things that we thought would never happen are happening right now. 
It is a day and age that we live in, whether it is sexuality, whether it is gender, whatever it is, everything is being turned upside down. We kind of like a little softer launch on a sermon, don't we, (laughs) than that. But I think we realize this. I think we understand that. I think we know this. And so we have to be, we have to be so vigilant because there is a standard of righteousness and there is truth. And children are a reward and they are a blessing and they are a heritage, but they're also a responsibility. And we, as one generation, have a responsibility to the children of the next generation, whether or not we have kids. We do have a responsibility, I believe, as the body of Christ. So I want to I talk to you a little bit. I want to give you an example, first of all, and, and really where some of the foundation of my thoughts are going to come from this morning. Paul was writing to the church at Corinth, and he wanted, to, he wanted to get something across to them. And so he went all the way back in Israel's history, something that they would understand, and he begins to give them an example he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 1, he says, I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. Now, he's going to leverage that historical perspective of, of, of Israel in the land of Egypt and the promised land. He's going to leverage that to help these people understand something. All of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them. If you remember the story, they left Egyptian captivity. They wandered in the wilderness. There was a a cloud of fire by night that provided light. It provided heat. It provided guidance. There was a cloud by day that helped them to be cool. Whenever the cloud moved, they moved. If the cloud didn't move, then they didn't move. So they were all guided by that same cloud. All of them walked through the sea on dry ground, the Red Sea, in, in the cloud and in the sea. All of them were baptized as followers of Moses. All of them ate the same spiritual food. They, they had the same experiences. They, they believed and they walked and they did the same things. They ate the manna in the wilderness. And all of them drank the same spiritual water. For they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them. And that rock was Christ. They all experienced these wonderful, wonderful things. The miracles of God. Verse 5. Yet God was not pleased with most of them. And their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. He says a few more things. Then verse 11, he says this, these things happened to them as examples for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. The example of the nation of Israel in Egyptian captivity is to be an example to us. Their deliverance as Moses, the great deliverer, the, 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 the one that was an example, he led them out of captivity through the wilderness to the banks of the Jordan River, and then he passed away. Joshua takes over and brings them into the land. That is a picture for you and for me. And in this example that I want to give to you today, you might think, well, Pastor Ron, what does this have to do with anything designed in, in relationships or kids or anything like that? Hang on to your hats because this, it is so... Amazing to me how perfect the word of God is. And so in this example that God gives to us, the Apostle Paul, there are some, some key players that are in this, in this example. First of all, there's Pharaoh. How many of you remember hearing about King Pharaoh? Perhaps you saw the movie, The Ten Commandments, whatever it might be. Uh, uh, Pharaoh was the, the ruler of Egypt. Pharaoh is a type. It is a picture of, a representation of the enemy or Satan, the God of this world. 
Pharaoh was the god of, of, of Egypt in a sense, and he ruled everything that went on in that land of Egypt. The second thing that we see is Egypt. Egypt is a type of this world's system, this, this world around us. It is a type of culture. It is a type. And so we have Pharaoh who, who influenced the culture of Egypt and the, the rulership of Egypt, not unlike we have an enemy, the devil, that is the god of this world. And in this example, we see Moses. God commissioned Moses to go with a message to set my people free. God wanted to deliver. God wanted to redeem the nation of Israel and get them out of captivity. And Moses is a picture of Jesus, our great redeemer, who, who shed his blood, gave his life so that we could have everlasting life. And then the promised land. And in the promised land, that is a type of the promise of God or living in the abundance of God. I know a lot of people grew up with the idea that the promised land was heaven. That once we get to heaven, we've reached the promised land. No. The promised land is not heaven. The promised land is a, is a picture of an overcoming life of a follower of Christ who has taken those precious commandments of the word of God, put them in their heart, and begin to live out of a heart of faith and life. When the nation of Israel got into the land of Egypt, or I'm sorry, when they got into the promised land, it actually got harder for them than it was in the wilderness. Because in the wilderness, there was a cloud that led them. That cloud went away when they went into the promised land. God fed them every day with manna. That manna stopped when they got into the promised land. They didn't really do much fighting when they were in the wilderness. But when they got to the promised land, they had to conquer the land. That is not a picture of heaven. When you get to heaven, your last war, your last battle, it will have been fought. It is you entering into the eternal rest and reward that God has prepared for you and me. And so it is a picture of, the, uh, uh, of an overcoming life in Christ, and then there's a three-day journey. And for me, every time I see three-day journey, I see the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, something that God did for me uh, on my behalf because of what Jesus did for us. And so that's part of the example that the Apostle Paul was giving to the church at Corinth, and he said, again, I want you to understand something, church. This was written down so that, that you would not stumble and fall after their example, but instead that you would be an overcomer and that you would enter into the land of promise that God's prepared for you. And so in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 18, we're familiar with the phrase, let my people go. But that's not exactly the way this whole thing went down. And, and we read this in Exodus chapter 3. In verse 18, and, and, and if you'd back up in the chapter 3, that's when Moses was, you know, he's tending sheep, and he's walking through the wilderness. He sees a bush that's burning. He walks over to see the bush that's burning, and God begins to speak to him. He says, take off your sandals, and, and this is holy ground. He begins to commission him. He begins to tell him, I want you to go back to Egypt, and, and there's a huge backstory of what that means to go back to Egypt. I want you to go there. I want you to confront Pharaoh, and I want you to bring deliverance to my people, and he's like, yeah, no, not me. Get somebody else. God finally convinces him. And he says this in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 18. The, the elders of Israel will listen to you. And then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Let us, and here's, here's the commission. Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer, offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness and sacrifice. That's what God wanted Moses to tell Pharaoh. That's what he eventually wanted Pharaoh to do, is to release the people to do a three-day journey into the wilderness. Again, a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And that is a picture that for you and for me, that we have to taste, we have to experience, we have to participate in the death, burial, and resurrection of our Savior, Jesus. We have to die with him and be buried with him. 
We have to be raised up together with him and understand what those things mean. Verse 19, here's God speaking to Moses. Three-day journey, verse 19. But I know the king of Egypt. He will not let you go unless a mighty hand forces him. So I'll raise my hand and I will strike the Egyptians, performing all kinds of miracles among them. Those are the plagues that we read about, the, 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 the frogs and the lice and the blood and all the different things. And finally, the doorpost and the angel of death and all of those things. And then it says, and then at last he will let you go. Now, this is something that we miss. We, we sort of stop. And it, the movie, The Ten Commandments, really fell short on this whole thing. <clears throat> Verse 21. Remember, this is an example. Verse 21. I will cause the Egyptians to look favorably upon you. Egypt is a type of this world. They will give you gifts when you go. <laughs> you will not leave empty-handed. Every Israelite woman will ask for articles of silver and gold and fine clothing and from, from her Egyptian neighbors and from the foreign women in their houses. You will dress your sons and your daughters with these, stripping the Egyptians of their wealth. They left with the gold, the silver, the finery of Egypt. It was kind of like they just paid them to leave. That's a picture. That's an example for you and for me. We are not just a bunch of old sinners that are saved by grace, that are just barely hanging on trying to make it. We are a victorious army and a nation that God has redeemed, and the enemy has no control over our lives at all. And so when he goes to Pharaoh, when Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, hey, all right, here's what God has said. This is what our God has told us. We need to take a three-day journey into the wilderness, and we need to sacrifice to our God. That's what he was asking for. Pharaoh, who is a type of the enemy, a type of the devil, we learn something about how he works in our lives. And I'm getting two points, so please stay with me here. I'm actually getting to several of them, uh, and I know I'm covering a lot of ground here in one sense, but Pharaoh tries to get the people of God to compromise. Pharaoh tries to get the people to not do what God said to do. And, and that is the example of, of our enemy, the devil. He, in the book of Genesis, when he, when he tempted Adam, he tempted Eve, he went to Eve and said, did God surely say, did God really say that? Pharaoh's doing the same thing, trying to get us to compromise on the word of God. And so we find four compromises that Pharaoh gives, who is a type of Satan. Number one, he says this, this is in Exodus chapter eight, stay in Egypt. He says, all right, I'm going to let you go, but stay in Egypt. Verse 25 of chapter 8 says, Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron. Now, there'd been some plagues that had happened, some horrible things that went on. Finally, Pharaoh says, I've had enough. I've got to get these guys in here, and they're going to have to ask God to help me out here. He said, all right, go ahead, Pharaoh replied. I will let you go into the wilderness. I'm sorry. Pharaoh called for Moses and for Aaron. All right, go ahead and offer sacrifices to your God, he said. But do it here in the land. Do it right here in the land. Now, God said, I want you to take a three-day journey and sacrifice. Pharaoh says, all right, you can sacrifice, but I want you to do it right here in Egypt. And there's a couple of things, but that's a picture for you and me. I think that often when we make Jesus the Lord of our life, it's like we've just sort of added something to our life. We've not really changed anything. We've accessorized our life with Jesus. We've, we've made him the Lord of our life. Like I've said, sometimes it's, it's sort of like we've accepted his friend request, like you might on Facebook, but it's somebody we just sort of scroll by. We don't really listen. And that's really what, what Pharaoh was, is a picture of, that, that God comes into our life, Christ comes into our life, and the enemy's like, okay, that's all right. That's all right. But don't change anything. Just keep living the way you've always lived. Keep doing what you've always done. Keep doing all of those things. 
Because if you do that, you'll never, you'll never get the promise of God. You'll never get to the promised land. The second compromise is he says, number two, don't go too far. In verse 28, he said, all right, go ahead, Pharaoh replied. I will let you go into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord your God, but don't go too far away. Now hurry and pray for me. Again, plagues had happened, terrible things had happened. So he's like, okay, I need you to go to God for me. And I'm going to let you sacrifice. In fact, I'm going to let you leave Egypt to sacrifice, but I don't want you to get too far, which is what the devil does to you. All right, you've made Jesus the Lord of your life. You've made some changes, but don't get too crazy. Don't get too extreme. I mean, good, good heavens, don't lift your hands in worship. And God forbid that you would ever give anything in an offering or serve somewhere. I mean, don't get too extreme. Don't get too crazy. Don't go too far. Because people are going to think you're weird. People are going to think you're nuts. You're going to have to explain to people why you have the hope and faith that you have. Don't want to do that. They're going to think you're crazy. I know nobody in here has ever experienced any of those temptations. But the enemy of our soul tries to come to us and tell us, don't go too far. Don't get too crazy. Don't get too extreme. Don't go, you know, being filled with the Holy Ghost and praying in tongues. All oh, no, be careful because pretty soon you'll be picking up snakes. Look out. <laughs> Don't go too far. I think that, man, we have been extremely blessed. We have a God who is crazy in love with us, who has moved hell so that we could have heaven on earth. I don't think we could go too far sometimes. Amen. Amen. I think it's okay to rejoice in the Lord. I think it's all right to get excited. I think it's okay to clap our hands and lift our voices and to rejoice in our God. Don't you? I mean, I'm extremely forgiven. I'm extremely blessed. I've got a God that goes before me. He fights my battles. Praise God. I'm not just barely dragging through life. This is the fourth one. It's out of order for a reason. More plagues happen. Number four, Leave the herds and the flocks. Here's another compromise. Verse 24 of of Exodus 10. Finally, Pharaoh called for Moses. Go and worship the Lord, he said, but leave your flocks and herds here. You can go. You can go into the wilderness. You can sacrifice, but I want you to leave all your animals here. I want you to leave the flocks here. I want you to leave the herds here. Now, the flocks and the herds were more than just something to eat, (laughs) More than something to eat and more than a representation of something that is financial, that is a source of income for them. The herds and the flocks are where the sacrifices were going to come from. And so really what the enemy was saying in the picture for us is that the enemy is saying, all right, do the whole Christian thing, but don't sacrifice. Don't sacrifice. Take the path of least resistance. I'll just tell you right now, we say it this way often around here, that Christianity is simple, it's just not easy. And a lot of people sign up for Christianity until they get to the sacrifice part, and it's like, I don't want to sacrifice anything. I'm going to make sure that I go first. And let me just tell you that Christianity, Christianity that, that, is, that, that requires no sacrifice will always turn inward. It will cause us to be self-seeking, self-serving, and selfish, putting ourselves and our needs above the needs of other people or the body of Christ. And so he said, you can go, but don't bring the elements of sacrifice. I'll tell you this, true worship will always require at some point to sacrifice. I think the dividing line of mature Christianity, the difficulty or the the hard part of true Christianity (laughs) 
is really this concept and this idea, what happens when what I want for me is different than what God wants for me? When I want certain things or have certain feelings and I'm like, God, what? I want this, but I know that the word of God says that. When I decide to side with God and his word, that will make a difference in my life. Sacrifice always brings benefit and brings blessing. You will ne- God, God rewards, God blesses, God adds. Don't ever forget that. And so again, he says in verse 24, go worship the Lord, leave your flocks and herds here. You may, and then he adds this phrase, which is kind of odd to us, you may even take the little ones with you. You may even take the little ones with you, and that's, that's number three. I put them out of order because in the chronologic, chronological order of the book of Exodus, this was the fourth one about the sacrifice, but I want to talk about the third one, the third compromise. Exodus chapter 10 and verse 10 says, Pharaoh retorted, the Lord will certainly need to be with you if I let you take your little ones. In other words, <laughs> there ain't no way I'm letting these kids go, God's going to have to do this. I can see through your evil plan, never. Only the men may go and worship the Lord, since that is what you requested. And Pharaoh threw them out of the palace. We have more plagues. We have more lice. We have more frogs. We have more blood. We have more stuff. And he finally is going to release the people. But notice that the compromise was the men only, not the women, not the children. Not the women, not the children. And that is a compromise that the enemy wants us many times to to embrace, And we've decided here as a church that anywhere that is worth going for you, for me, for we, for us, anywhere that is worth going is worth bringing our children with us. Anywhere that is worth going in the kingdom of God, in the will of God, in the plan of God, anywhere that's worth going is worth bringing our children with us. I refuse, and I, you know, I might get a little more passionate here, but, but, but I refuse to allow our children's ministry to be called daycare. There is an element of child care, and there is an element that, man, praise God, we want you to be able to come into a service and enjoy the service and hear the word of God without your kids climbing over you and, and us having to vacuum up goldfish off the floor and all the different things. Now, if your kids want to come in here, we're okay with that. We're not trying to, I'm just telling you that that our passion, our desire, and our heart is to design children's services. It is to take the exceeding great promises of the word of God and make children's happy meals out of those things so that they can hear the same word of God that you're hearing, but it's on their level. Anywhere that is worth going for us as adults is worth taking our children with us. And you need to understand this morning that we're in a battle. We're, you know, however you want to phrase this, look at this, you know, we tend to gravitate to, towards the political. You need to know something. You have an adversary. There is a plan that the devil has had in place for destruction. And I said it a couple of weeks ago. He does not care. He doesn't care black, white, Republican, Democrat, liberal, conservative. He doesn't care rich, poor, young, old. He doesn't care. He wants to divide. He wants to cause chaos and strife and confusion. He wants us fighting with each other. And we need to let our kids know that. We need to make them aware that there is a battle that we walk into. We all live in every single day. And so the example of Pharaoh's compromises, that he tried to get the nation of Israel, God said, I want you to sacrifice. I want you to experience the three-day journey and then sacrifice. I want you to experience... Jesus is telling us, I want you to experience the power of what it means to die. 
to know that your old man was crucified with Christ and know that your past has been buried, that it's dead. When something's dead, it gets buried. But that's not where it ends. There's a, there's a new life that's on the inside of you. There's a resurrection life, but you can never experience resurrection until you know that you've died. And our kids need to know that as well. Psalm 145 says this. Let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts and let them proclaim your power. Let each generation, let each generation tell the children of the generation of the acts of God. And let them, let them, let them, let them proclaim your power. I had a great conversation with someone last night, talking to them a little bit, and, and he's a little bit older than I am, been involved in churches all of his life and talking about his journey of faith and experience in different churches. And as we were talking, uh, he, he was raised in a, in a denominational type church, went to another couple of types of church, and then it eventually ended up in a what we would call a non-denominational church, uh, uh, that kind of a thing. How, how many of us, particularly around my age, and I was talking to him and I said, you know, and he was talking about some things that were going on in his church, how he wanted to see more things happening for the youth and for the kids and a lot of things like that. And, and, and actually, he was concerned because some of the younger people were leaving uh, that church. And, and so uh, I, I was talking with him, and I just said, you know, think about it back when him and myself, when, when sort of our journey, we were raised in, in denominational-type churches that refused to change. And the adults, people that were in charge, refused to change because that's the way they always did it. And I said to him, I said, you know, what's happened is that there's, another, there's a generation that's refusing to change just like the previous generation did. There's a generation that wants it the way they've always had it, and they don't recognize that the people that are 30 years younger than they are, they don't live life the same way. They don't have the same pressures. They don't have the same problems. And I said, I, I said it's kind of a sad thing that happens in the church world. But we force the young people out of our church because we refuse to change. And yet this verse tells us, says that, that, that we should be living such a life that they're understanding and experiencing. In the book of Judges, great story, Joshua's 100, well, not a great story, it's a sad story, but Joshua's about 110 years old and he dies. And it talks about three generations, that there was a generation, Joshua's generation, that knew God and his power. They knew God and his power. They knew God and his power, but then that next generation, they knew God, but they didn't know his power. And it finally resulted in a third generation that didn't know God, didn't know his power, and it says they fell away from the Lord, and they served Baal. I don't want that to happen in our church. I don't want that to happen. I want this generation, you and me, to live a life in such a way, with such passion and life and conviction that, that we're not having to just go to our kids and preach to them. They see it. They see it. And they, they see it. Man, I was... As I was kind of studying and putting this together, Spirit of God just dropped something on me. Uh, let me just phrase it like this. Next Sunday, uh, Pastor Tim mentioned, and you've been hearing about it, next Sunday is VBA kickoff, Vacation Bible Adventure. Um, this is something that obviously we've done for a long time, but, but I have always wanted to give space to our children's ministry, to our youth ministries. 
It's one of the reasons that, that you hear Pastor John, Pastor Tim, Pastor Tommy, Pastor Steph, when I can pry her up here to get her out here to speak every once in a while. That's the reason that I want them to speak. I want you to know the quality of ministry that your children, that your teenagers, I want you to know the quality of ministry that they are getting. It's not just some cute opportunity to hear something. It's not so Pastor Brian can have a break, although sometimes that's true too. Actually, it's more so you have a break. <laughs> Because I know that after a while I can become like wah, 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 kind of a thing. So I understand that. But I want you to see, I, I, I want you to experience vision that is coming to pass. I want you to feel that passion. I want you to understand that what's happening. And I give a great big shout out to Pastor Tommy and Angela and Pastor Steph and Andrew and, and their teams that carry out quality ministry. I mean, again, these kids are going through real life stuff. Pastor Tommy's sharing with me some stuff that some of the teenagers are dealing with. And I'm like, dear Jesus, I felt guilty for not praying more. They're suffering with stuff that you and I don't even think about. And, and these ministries are frontline defenses in one sense. They, they are a shelter and a refuge in their stormy lives. You might think you're going through it, but your kids are going through it too. And they're being indoctrinated. And so we got to live these things, experience these things, know these things. VBA is next week, and, and you're going to see you're going to see some great ministry, and it's going to be a fun time because we're joy. We're joy, and we're going to have fun in church. God is not an old fuddy-duddy. God is not like some of you and me. God likes to have fun. Praise God. And so we're going to have fun, and, and, and over the next week, uh, as they do their children's services and the 456 does their thing, and, and here's what I'm asking you to do. There's a couple of things. Number one is just to pray. These kids and these teenagers, they need your prayers. Again, they face things you and I have no idea about. Confusing day. They need prayer. Love to have you invite kids. We've got the 456 event renting out, whatever that place is that I kind of want to go to, but I can't think of what the name of it is. What? what? Blacklight Adventure. Yes. That's so much fun. Maybe I was, I'm going to volunteer. <laughs> anyway, um, and that's another thing, volunteering, helping out with that event, being an example, just being around to, to help and experience what it is, whatever it might be. We need your help. But here's, here's what I want to just plant a seed in this congregation about, kind of a realization that I've had. Well, let me read this scripture, Matthew chapter 19, first of all. Matthew 19, 14. We've all heard this scripture a thousand times. Jesus said, let the little children come to me. And these next couple of words just jumped off the page. Don't stop them. Don't stop them. I could launch into a whole another sermon about children. Let me give you a couple of highlights very quickly. Children are born ready to believe. We call it gullible. And children eventually learn that words don't mean what people say they mean. We've all learned that words don't mean what they always seem to mean. But when we're children, when God says, I want you to come to me like a child, a child has an ability to believe. They are born ready to believe. So let's not stop them because children don't think anything's impossible. Right now, if, if, if you went back to the children's area and you said, hey, over there in the building, P.T. Brother, Brothers Barnum and Bailey Circus, there's elephants, tigers, lions, and bears, oh my, they're there, let's go. 
guess what they would do? They would beat down the doors to get over here. Now, if I went to you and I said, hey, guess what? There's lions and tigers and bears over here. They go, oh, whatever. And so when you tell a child, hey, guess what? God is good and he's powerful and he's concerned about your life and God will heal your body. You know what they're going to believe? God is good. He's powerful. God will heal me. In fact, there's kids that will just run up to you and say, hey, can I pray for you? I don't know what it means exactly, but hey, I learned this in church. Don't stop them. Don't stop them. Don't stop them. Don't stop them. We can guide them. And we can help to shape some things, but let's not stop the passion and the excitement and the joy that children have. Why is it that children, our, our granddaughter Elsie, Pastor Steph's daughter, I mean, she was in here a couple of weeks ago. Andrew had her in here, and, and we're just practicing music. And what does she do? I mean, the first thing, she sort of steps out, she's watching her and she's doing this. Why do we stop that? Why do we stop? Why do we think that this is the acceptable form of worship? <laughs> Why well, just get uncomfortable? Kids don't. Don't stop them. And for us that are old fuddy-duddies, let's not stop. I believe with all of my heart, this is the seed I want to plant in this congregation came about like this. I get to have a role to play with the organization that I'm a part of, ordained through the Bible college that I went to. And I have a responsibility to just kind of influence and have relationship with about a dozen churches, pastors here in Minnesota, kind of the west, northwestern part of the state. Every single one of those churches, every single one of those churches, when it comes to children's ministry, they're under-resourced, under-equipped. They don't know. They don't, I, 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 I'll say it like this. I know beyond the shadow of a doubt that after six, seven, eight years of our kids going through ministry team, these ministry team kids, they're learning things like how to be on time. This is a life skill. They're learning things about commitment. They're learning to love God and serve others. They're learning skills like puppetry. They're learning what it means to be in front of a group of people. And I love watching these kids that, that seem so awkward and gangly and weird when they're eight or nine. And when they're teenagers, they're, they're awesome, articulate, confident. And those kids that are 17 and 18, almost all of those kids are better equipped than the majority of the people that are running children's ministries in churches today. At 19 years old, 18 years old, they understand children's ministry and children, how to have fun. They understand how to pull off ministry better than many of the people that, I'm talking to one pastor, he said, my children's pastor, or I'm sorry, my children's leader, 70 years old. Nothing against 70-year-old children's leaders. But I know one thing, I'm 62, I can't get on the floor very easily and get back up. I don't know what it is about age, but I've gotten taller because it's harder to reach the floor than it used to be. And I can't do it quietly. It's like, ugh, <laughs> So we're going to figure out a way to leverage that. I said, we're going to figure out a way. We're not going to stop our kids. They need prayer. They need help. They need life. They need blessing. They, they need those things. So I'm going to ask you this morning, would you please bow your heads with me? 
and let's pray. I want us to pray, number one, for the children that will be here next week, Sunday, and then the following week. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for the heart of this church. I thank you, Father, that we will always make room for youth and for children. I thank you, Father, that we staff towards that. I thank you that this congregation has been generous in their time and in their treasury to make sure that we can provide quality ministry. But, Lord, it's not enough. Lord, we're asking you for more. Father, we're asking you for more. Help us to adopt the attitude that we are not going to stop our children. But, Heavenly Father, that we're going to encourage their faith. We're going to encourage their growth. That we're going to find ways to leverage the talent and the ability that they have. And, Father, I pray for Pastor Tommy and Angela, for Pastor Steph, and for, for, for Andrew. And, Father, we believe that all of their teams are anointed by you. I thank you that you strengthen them. I thank you that you give them wisdom. I thank you, Heavenly Father, that you give them great grace. And, Father, when they have to minister to teenagers, when they have to minister to children who've experienced horrible things, I thank you that you will give them grace. And I thank you that from their hands and from their mouth will flow healing power, healing words, and healing anointing, Heavenly Father, that will calm their minds and and heal their bodies. And Father, I believe in the name of Jesus that you will help us to leverage talent and help us to leverage, leverage technology so that we can reach this generation in a way that they are not reached because we understand the work of the enemy. We understand that his hand is strong and his mighty. And Father, we know that we have an adversary, the devil, and we know that he wants us to compromise, and he wants us to think about us only, and our time, and what I want. But Father, I ask you to help us that this generation, my generation, would praise your works to the generation behind me. And that, Father, we will leave a legacy of faith, and a legacy of life, and that, Father, lives will be touched, and changed, and renewed. And Father, that they will look fondly, our children and teenagers will look fondly upon us as those who inspired them their faith and their believing. Oh, Father. Oh, Father. Oh, Father. Oh, Father. Father, the need is so great. Father, help us not to take the path of least resistance, but help us to sow, help us to give, help us to serve, help us to love, help us to be a family church as teaching people of all ages how to reach their world, and that your light and your life and your love and the joy that radiates from our lives because we know our God. Oh, Father, that it would be so attractive to the world around us. They'll want to know why we have peace, why we have joy, why we have the things that we have, and we can turn the attention to you and say it's because God loves us. He's for me and not against me. We thank you for these things in the mighty name of Jesus, and we as a church all together said, amen. Amen.